So the reading this morning is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod, or with love and a spirit of gentleness? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, Some story about Denzel, isn't it? Um, There's going to be... the sermon's kind of about that as well, and we'll, we'll see as we go along. Um, if, you, if you're new, uh, my name's Jonathan. You are very welcome. Um, if you haven't yet opened your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, um, if you don't have a Bible, um, you can, we want to give you one. So there'll be some of these out on that desk as you go. Um, pick one up, take it. Um, it's our gift to you. Um, the, uh, the beauty of, I guess, preaching... Um, kind of systematically or expositorily through a text like we are through, uh, through this book is you already know what we're about to talk about, hopefully. Um, so we, we ended last week in, in verse 13. So hopefully you know that we are going to start in verse 14 today. Um, something, something great about not being surprised about, I wonder what we're going to talk about today. Um, we, um, we, we have this... Um, uh, this value uh, in our church of the word dwelling among us. Um, so our hope is that um, as we as a church make our way through this book, that, that Sunday mornings isn't the only time that you are opening your Bible to, to, to this passage. Um, that we, uh, the word dwelling among us is this value that we don't just, we don't just hear the word, we actually want to be shaped by it. Uh, we want to be, our lives to be molded by it. So we want to be in uh, the, the scriptures a lot. Um, and Jesus prayed to, to the Father for us in John 17. He said, he prayed to the Father that he would sanctify us by your truth. Your word is the truth. So we, we believe that God's word, his scripture is, is our like, authority in life. That um, Even Paul warned uh, the Corinthians last week, um, to he said, don't go beyond what is written. This this idea of like keep your finger on the text. The the text is going to uh, teach us how we. Uh, it's our standard. It's our authority in life. And um, really, today's passage is is about authority as well. Um, and I wonder what comes to your mind when you hear that word authority. Um, is it do you have good thoughts when you when you hear the word authority? Uh, maybe kind of. Does it make you squirm a little bit? Um, what about our culture? What, how does our culture view authority? Um, do, I, I think it, it just scroll through Twitter or, or Facebook or things like that. I think we have this, um, this kind of cultural red flags uh, that, that are raised uh, when, we, when we talk about authority. 
Um, especially even in our, our specific country's culture, uh, like whose authority do we, do we show allegiance to? Who's, whose authority do we respect? Um, it's pretty, pretty divided in this way. People kind of prickle at the thought of authority. Um, what gives you the right to tell me how I should live my life? Um, what, gives, what gives you to te- the right to tell me how I should behave? Um, what, what I should believe? Um, there's a scholar, R.R. Reno, he, he says that authority, in our, our culture's view of authority, we view it as something that, that should either be grimly endured or simply overthrown. Um, this, this, even this, this very reaction against authority uh, kind of implies that the authority is inevitable and, and indispensable. Um, Stephen Um, he's a commentator on, on 1 Corinthians, um, he says there's no such thing as a state of non-authority. So there's, there, there's no such thing as a, uh, an authority vacuum in our world. Um, so even if someone overthrows a certain authority, well, that person becomes the new authority simply by overthrowing the, the preceding one. Um, we, we, uh, there's no such thing as, as non-authority. But we also have this kind of allergy to authority, he says. Um, and I think this is why people, uh, when Emma read this today, you can become a little bit squirmy. Um, we kind of become a little bit uncomfortable by Paul in this passage, Paul just in general can be a little bit uncomfortable um, because he's, he's, he's making an argument to, to the church. He's saying things in a really authoritative way. Um, he's, he's claiming a very special position in their lives, uh, the, this position of father to them. Um, he's, he's urging them to imitate him. Um, he's, he's even warning them at the end about the possibility of, of discipline kind of makes us feel uncomfortable when we read that. Um, but one of the things we want to be careful to, to not do is to read the text with our kind of Western anti-authority uh, lens. And because I think the Corinthians in the ancient Near East context would have understood Paul, uh, this talk of authority in, in a way that we might not. Um, so we have a little bit of work to do to understand it properly. Um, and I think one of the things that would help us understand Paul is to... Um, to understand what authority isn't. Um, so uh, Stephen Um, he, he warns us not to m- mistake authority with authoritarianism. Um, it's a really important thing to, to a distinction to make. Um, so authority, as you can see on the screen, uh, is the ability to influence others. Uh, it's, it's the right to give others orders and to make commands, but with, the, with their good in view, with, with their flourishing in view. Authoritarianism, on the other hand, is in enforcing strict obedience to authority at the expense of personal freedom, it's showing a lack of concern for the wishes of, other, of the opinions of others. It's, it's domineering. It's, it's dictatorial. Um, and if you've gone to school, you've, you've, we've been taught the, there's examples of, of this kind of extreme authoritarianism and, and how it's wreaked havoc in our worlds, um, the governments and, and evil regimes uh, rising up and being authoritarian, wreaking havoc. Um, there's a big difference between authority and authoritarianism. Um, authority is having someone over you. It's like having a, a supervisor who, who seeks the good of, of their staff, uh, the, the harmony and the good uh, of others. That, and this, this kind of leading leads to flourishing uh, of, of, the, of the personal and of the social, of the greater, of the, the wider community. Authoritarianism is having a, a, a supervisor who's, who demands strict obedience and, and crushes both individual and social flourishing for the purpose of maintaining control. Um, one of these is good. It leads to 
to flourishing. One of these is bad. It, it leads to uh, one person just maintaining control. Um, but the problem that we have when we read the text and understand Paul and read our Bible in general is when we have the, the, the feelings of uneasiness with authoritarianism, when that is kind of imported into our understanding of authority. Does that make sense? So we, we can either read the Bible uh, incorrectly, like an authoritarian document, and we, we, um, if we do that, then we're going to view it as something that's trying to restrict us. We will, we will kind of buck against it. Um, or we can read the Bible correctly as an, uh, an authoritative document. Uh, and if we do that, then we're going to delight in it, that we're going to, to long to be in it because it's, we know it's for our good and for our flourishing. Um, have you ever read Psalm 119? This is how that psalmist understands and, and views God's law. Um, he, he delights and he loves God's word. It's fascinating. He says things like, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Your testimonies are my delight. Behold, I long for your precepts. I will find delights in your commands, which I love. I love this one. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. Like, who, who talks like that about authority? Who, who, who talks like that about delighting in law? The... the, 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 the the person who, who can say that is the person who, who, who views God's, God's uh, word as for their good and for their flourishing. And you can buy, either view the Bible as authoritarian or as restrictive and oppressive or authoritative as, as for your good and for your flourishing, for your joy. And today's passage, we can do the same. We can either uh, view Paul wrongly as, as, a, as a dictator, as authoritarian, or we can view him rightly as a God-given authority for the Corinthians, to, uh, given to them to, uh, to, to show them certain ways that leads to their good and for their flourishing. And it's an important distinction to make in our understanding. Um, uh, Stephen Um also goes on, he says that it's important to understand authority as, as also kind of inevitable and, and, and necessary. It's the way that God has, has created us to operate and to flourish. Um, so he says the more, the more free we become and the more gifted we become as individuals, the more we will need thoughtful and careful authority to help us flourish. So God's designed us humans to operate and flourish within and under good and careful authority. And this is how an orchestra operates. If you've ever gone to see an orchestra, the, the, a really good orchestra is made up of, of individual, like really good, skilled musicians. And I, love, I love just watching one violin player, one cellist, and, and seeing that they have the ability to play anything. They're, they're, they're so skilled, they can, they can play whatever they want. And, but if they want to play... Uh, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony or something like that, they will need to submit themselves to the authority of the score and the authority of the conductor. And because they can all, if they all decide to play different things, maybe something beautiful, but, but at different timings, at different, uh, uh, um, different keys, it'd be chaos. It'd be, it'd be really quite terrible to listen to. Um, but when they submit themselves to the authority of the score and to the conductor... And they submit themselves to an authority that, that seeks to leverage power 
for their individual good and for the good of the, the, the whole orchestra, then something beautiful happens. Something incredible begins to happen. And, and this is exactly what I think is happening in Paul in Corinth, where Paul sees the Corinthians playing off of the score. And he, he sees that they're, the way they're operating is a complete mess, that there's fractions happening. The family is starting to fall apart. And he's calling them to, to relocate their vision back to where it belongs. Paul's using his authority to, to bring them back to an estate of flourishing, uh, of, of uh, flourishing in their relationship with one another and to God. Being under good and careful authority is how God has designed us to flourish. Um, it's how f- families operate. So um, if my children don't have me to, to exercise authority over them, then they are doomed in life. Um, they, they need someone uh, to, with influence over them who teaches them, uh, who uses that influence over them to, to help them to grow, to teach them the, uh, the, the ways of, of this world, to show them how to be a good person in society, to show them how to blossom into a fully realized human being. And children with, with completely hands-off parents become tyrants, become degenerates. Um, from the moment you enter into this world, everyone depends on, on others being in, in a role of authority and leveraging their influence for their good. Um, there's no such thing as a state of non-authority. There's never an authority vacuum. There's, there's simply either good authority or bad authority. Um, every human being, uh, whether religious or Christian or, or a skeptic, uh, ultimately believes in authority structures. You can't believe in a non-authority. The question is really, what authority are you submitting to? Um, maybe, it's an, maybe it's actually an internal, uh, intrinsic authority. And Paul talks about this with the Corinthians. He, he calls that an, a, a puffed-up arrogance. Um, it, it seems to be uh, that they, were, they had this puffed-up arrogance that, that made them think that they were in the position of God. So they were judging the way that only God should judge. They were, they were doing things before the time uh, when God would come and do them. Or, Paul says, you can, uh, instead of doing that, you can humble yourself. And you can remember that you're a recipient of God's grace. He calls us, uh, we've become fools for Christ's sake. We are in need of him. And we're in need of him to impart wisdom to us. Chapter 2, verse 13. We're in need of him to bring growth, chapter 3, verse 6. We're in need of this external authority to to bring us in line, to help us to to flourish, to to show us the way. And and this is what Paul is trying to do for the Corinthian church here. He's he's writing to them. He's urging them to to be unified, to grow up in maturity, to stop fighting over whose leader is, is better because it's that's causing division in the body. It's, it's causing the family to break apart. So what the Corinthian church needs, they need Paul to, to be authoritative with them. They, they need him to, to help them to relocate their vision back to where it belongs. And, and it's difficult. Like, he's saying some difficult things to them. He's, he's, at times, he's being quite stern. Um, even in the previous section, he's, it's, he's almost verging on, on sarcasm with them. Um, but, but here in this section, uh, he employs this new metaphor um, to, to help them to understand who he is to them. And he refers to his relationship with them as, as that of a father with his beloved children. 
And this is incredibly, incredibly important for us to really understand Paul in this whole book. Really, the whole thrust of his argument depends on this loving context of, of uh, this, this personal relationship that he has with the Corinthians that's been created in and through the gospel. So even though he's stern at times, even though he's really straight talking with them at times, he's not an authoritarian uh, dictator. He's, he's that of a, of a loving and a caring father. You see this upside-down kingdom of God again, uh, where, where the power and the wisdom of God are shown to be at work uh, in how Paul is, is dealing with them. Um, in verse 14, he addresses them as my beloved children. He just reveals his, his warm and affectionate concern for them. Um, I think it helps us understand that the previous passage, when he gets a bit ironic with them, um, it, he's not writing in that way out of irritation, um, out of, uh, out of uh, just, just shortness with them. No, he's writing that out of love. The, the whole thrust of this section is relational, um, and the, the purpose of it is, is restorative. And Paul, he makes this point in verse 14. He, shows them, he says his purpose is, not to admo- is to admonish them, not to make them ashamed. Um, he, he's warning them. He, he's instructing them in, in love, not heaping shame on, of the, on them out of irritation with them. Um, even, even though they've been uh, treating him improperly, they've been judging him improperly and unfairly, still, he's, he's warning them, he's, he's instructing them out of love. His, their good is, is his only motivation. It's, that's what's his concern, is, is their good and their flourishing. Paul's motivated by love. Um, what's on display in this letter is, is a relational, fatherly love in Christ towards fellow members of the kingdom. Um, I think Paul understands there's no such thing as an authority vacuum. Uh, the, the Corinthians are in need of someone to remind them. They're in need of someone to show them the way of Jesus, that they need a loving authority in life. They need someone to, to imitate the ways of Christ, and Paul's going to do that for them. Um, he's not authoritarian. He's a loving authority. Um, and I think in, in the passage today, we, we really see three things that this love that he has for them does. Three things that the Corinthians need from their loving father, Paul. Um, so firstly, in verses 14 to 15, we see that, that love warns. So again, Paul's not um, uh, warning them. He, 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 I'm sorry, he is warning them. He's not shaming them. There's a difference here. Um, he says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ, Jesus, through the gospel. Um, I think that we need to be a little bit careful here. So in, in Matthew 23, Jesus says, Call no man your father on earth, uh, for you have one father who's in heaven. Um, so I think there's... There's definitely problems when, when gospel ministers are called father. So we don't call um, uh, Father Thomas or Father Jonathan. Um, and I think Paul understands this. He's, he's not urging them to, to, think of them to think of him in this way. He's not even urging them to call him this. And um, what he's doing is he's, he's using this metaphor um, to help them to understand or to remind them of his, his special relationship with them. And that, that Paul was the one who actually planted this church, 
And Paul was the one who, who came and he shared the gospel with them. He, he personally uh, uh, begat or, or gave birth to them through the gospel in this way. He, he became their, their spiritual father in a way. He, he's, he has something with them that no one else has with them. And, and actually what this, this imperfect church needs right now is for their spiritual father to come and to correct their mistakes. They're, they're, they're rebelling at the moment. Uh, this pride has crept in and, and it's causing divisions. He's, it's causing the family to break up. So they need their spiritual father, Paul, to come and set things straight and to, to, to get them back on track for the sake of their good, for the sake of their flourishing and their joy, not for the sake of Paul maintaining control. And one of our core values here is church's family. We talk about that a lot. And I think this language kind of supports that value that, that the church isn't just an organization. It's, it's a family that we've been brought into, that we relate to each other and in, in familial ways. So our church needs this. We need spiritual mothers and fathers to, to, to help care for the children, to help uh, Im- um, exemplify the way of Jesus in a way that no one else does. And good parents want, to, want their children to learn and to grow, so they, they admonish them, they, they warn them, they teach them. They don't come and they, uh, they, they uh, warn them in a way that just makes them feel bad. they just heaping shame on them for their bad behavior. No, they, they, they come and they, they admonish and they correct uh, for the sake of their good. Uh, Paul makes, he's making a, uh, an important distinction in verse 15 uh, of, of what this relationship to them looks like. So he makes this distinction between a father and a guide. He says, for though you have countless guides in Christ... He's not, he's not dogging on them. We need the, you know, he's, he's not saying these guides don't listen to them. He's like, you have, you have countless guides in Christ, but you only have one father in a way. And the word guide is pedagogue. And so pedagogue was, was a guardian in a household, usually, usually like a really trusted slave and who was in charge of, of uh, protecting the children, of, of ushering them on their, on their way. So he would, he would usher them to, to their play. He would usher them to, to school and back. Uh, he'd, he'd kind of be over there making sure they're, they're uh, staying obedient to the father. Um, he just kind of exercised this constant superintendence over their conduct and their safety. Um, but the pedagogue isn't the child's father. Um, the, 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 the pedagogue is, is just a guide. It's just, a, it's just kind of a helper along the way. Um, they, they aren't even the, the, the child's teacher. They just usher them to, to school and back. It's, it's a position that's far inferior to that of a father. And Paul's saying, I'm not like one of those guardians. I'm like a father to you who warns you and teaches you, who exercises special authority over you because I love you and I, and I want what's best for you. So Paul's, he's, he's asserting his authority, and he's also appealing to their, to their uh, loyalty to him for the sake that they would heed to his warnings, they would, they would listen to his admonishments, uh, and that, that they would remember the gospel and be united so, so that the family wouldn't break up. Um, and listen, if you're still uneasy about um, the way Paul is talking here, the way he's asserting his authority... Um, is, this, is, Paul, uh, is Paul himself being a little bit puffed up in this way? Just, just read um, the, way, the way he talks here. Um, his, his concern 
is not to maintain control. His concern is, is the gospel. Like the gospel is, is center to everything for Paul from the beginning until the end. His authority is completely Christ-centered, not Paul-centered. So verse 15, he says, For I became your father in Christ through the gospel. He's, he's fathered them so that they can be in Christ. Verse 16, he sent Timothy, uh, he says, who is, um, who is his son in the Lord, so that he might learn to walk in Christ Jesus. His, his role to them is, is fatherly, but it's all about becoming more like Jesus. It's all about showing them more of Jesus. The point of, of everything for Paul is always singular. It's, it's always the gospel. It's always what Christ uh, has done for us. So in this way, he's, he's able to warn them in love, not so that he can keep hold of power over them, but so that they can flourish in Christ through the gospel. Something we, second thing we see in verses 16 and 17 is that love exhorts. So he doesn't merely, he doesn't merely admonish them. Um, he, he, he doesn't just warn them about their improper ways of evaluating other people. Um, he, he doesn't just point out that they're, that they're being puffed up and arrogant and that they've forgotten their position as recipients of God's grace and then stop. He does do that. He, he does warn them with his words, but then as every good and loving parent should do, he urges them to follow in his example, to imitate him, because Paul practices what he preaches, which is really important. It, it, he practices what he preaches, which gives credence to his commands to them, doesn't he? What we, what we do always speaks louder than what we say. So it's a picture of a father who has instructed his children um, in, in proper behavior by his own example. Um, the, the phrase like father like son, like father like children. Um, uh, this is a metaphor that uh, I think they would have specifically and culturally understood better than us as well. Uh, because they had a culture of, of following in your family trade. Um, I wonder how many of you uh, do the same thing in life, have the same trade as your mother or your father. I'm sure maybe uh, some of us, but I, th I think there's a lot of us that probably don't. I don't. But they had a culture of that. So if your father was a fisherman, he would train you up and you would become a fisherman as well. You'd take on the family trade. If your father was a carpenter, he'd train you in the ways of carpentry. You'd be in the, the workshop with him. He'd show you how to measure things and cut them and build um, and in that same way, Paul's urging them, he's urging the, the, Corinthian, culture, uh, uh, the Corinthian Christians to, to follow in his footsteps in this way, to, to learn from him what it looks like to walk in the ways of Christ, he says. Again, he's not being selfish in this. He, he's, not, uh, he's not saying, hey, be like me because I'm really awesome. Um, and in, in later in chapter 11, he's going to say the same thing, but he adds on to it. He says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. So for Paul, it's all, it's all about Jesus. Be like me because I'm trying to be like Jesus, because I'm trying to show you the way of Jesus. It's all about becoming more like Jesus. And Paul showed the, the Corinthians, he showed them this in the previous section, didn't he? This, this section that he says, this is what the apostles are like, but really we're, we're, we're looking at what Jesus is like. And it, 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 this is what it looks like to have this cross-shaped life. That, that he, the apostle, followed in, the, in, in, in Jesus' footsteps. That section is when, we, when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. 
really, we, we, should, we should think that's what Jesus did on the cross. And, and Paul follows in his footsteps in that way. Paul is an example of what this upside-down kingdom looks like. It's not, he's not about being at the top, about being honored, and about being uh, uh, the wise and the respected one. Paul's all about being at the bottom. We, we've read that all throughout the first uh, four chapters. He's about being brought low. He's about laboring. He's about suffering, about serving. And even in chapter 2, he said, I did not come to you proclaiming uh, the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Paul's able to say to his, his children here, imitate me. Because he's imitating Christ, because he's demonstrating the way of the cross, the, the way of the upside-down kingdom of God, that we're, we're, we're called to humility, not arrogance, that we're called to embrace weakness rather than appearing strong. We're called to be lowly servants at the bottom, not honorable and wise at the top. And this is uh, so important to Paul uh, that he sends Timothy Another, he's, uh, another one of his, his faithful and beloved children to remind them of his ways in Christ again. So, uh, Timothy, go remind them. Go, go show them how real this stuff is to me. He's to go and, and testify to them that, that Paul's cross-shaped life, his, his example and his message is, is authentic. The, the, the way of the cross for Paul isn't just this ethereal idea it's real and it's powerful as evidenced in Paul's life. And Timothy's been with Paul on his journeys. He's, he, he essentially witnessed the founding of, of all these New Testament churches. He saw firsthand how Paul, um, how Paul, what he was saying in the first four chapters, this upside-down kingdom about being brought low instead of being high. He saw this. He saw that it was real in his life. He's, Timothy's in a unique position of being able to vouch uh, for, for the truth of Paul's cross-shaped life. It's real. It's powerful. But, but Timothy's also a living example of what it, what it looks like to be a faithful child in the Lord as well. He, he's, Timothy walked and served alongside Paul. He imitated Paul in this way. And, and uh, he imitated Paul as Paul imitated Christ. And it resulted in Timothy being a faithful child in the Lord. So Paul sent him to Corinth to remind them what this looks like, what it actually looks like to imitate someone who grasps the gospel as central to everything in life, what it looks like to, to be a faithful child who grows into maturity, who, who, who becomes more like Jesus, to be a faithful child who submits to good and carrying authority in the kingdom of God. That's what Timothy's job was for them. Um, I wonder what that looks like in our, our church. Who are you, who are you imitating? Um, are you learning from someone who grasps the gospel as central in life? Do you have someone who is lovingly warning and exhorting you to live the way of Jesus? Do you have that relationship with anyone? Um, someone who is a, a spiritual mother or father to you? Someone who you can 
imitate, who, you can, who, who exemplifies for you what the way of Jesus looks like. Not someone perfect. Okay, you're not going to find that person in village. Promise me. Uh, I promise you. Um, Paul didn't even consider himself perfect. He actually considered himself the worst of sinners. Um, but Paul understood grace and mercy in his life. He, 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 he understood that, that the, the, the gospel message of Christ crucified on his behalf was everything for him. We need spiritual parents who are exercising good and careful authority in our church's life to, to show the younger believers what it looks like to, to walk um, in the way of Christ, to live in the upside-down kingdom of God. Love exhorts us um, not only to have the right belief, but to have the right behavior as well, to imitate the, an actual life that's walking the way of Jesus. It shows us the way of Christ. I think it's really important. And lastly, in verses uh, 18 to 21, um, those verses show us that love rebukes. So Paul is their, is their spiritual father who loves and cares for his children. Uh, their good and flourishing is his concern. It's his motivation for writing to them. And a good and caring father also warns his children. Uh, he teaches and he, he, he corrects their, their improper behavior, but, the, but he also imitates. He also says, be like me. I'm going to show you what that actually looks like in life. And he practices what he preaches, which gives credence to his commands. But what about the stubborn child? Um, the, the, the child who, who hears the warnings uh, but refuses to obey still. Um, a, a good and loving father, um, their love must be tough at times, too. Um, I tell my kids all the time uh, to be careful by the busy road, okay? Um, you're little, cars are fast, if they hit you, you'll die. Pretty, pretty simple uh, lesson in life. <laughs> I do my best to impart my wisdom to them, um, Especially if we're walking down the, a busy road, a bus, they're getting frisky. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get them in line. I urge them to imitate me, so I'm going to show them what it looks like to walk down the road, to, to look both ways, to, to wait for the green man to come up. Um, but what do I do if I see my little girl running into oncoming traffic? I warned her. Ah, well, she's going to do what she's going to do, Right? No, I'm going to shout at her. I'm going to run after her. I'm going to grab her in, in any way that I can because I love her, because I see her going into danger. I'm going to have stern words with her afterwards because I'm a loving father. A loving parent rebukes when it sees a child in danger. So Paul, as a loving father, both rebukes and threatens discipline to the Corinthian church should they ignore his warnings and his exhortations? In verse 18, we see Paul, he's zeroing in on the group who are, who are causing divisions. He says, some of you are arrogant. Again, they're, they're being puffed up. They're being self-inflated. They're, they're, they're walking the way of Corinth rather than the way of Jesus. They, they probably decided, you know, Paul's gone. And he's not here. This isn't his church anymore. We don't need him to visit us. Um, but Paul affirms his, attention, his intention to come very soon unless God uh, prevents him. A bit of a just wait until your father comes home moment, isn't it? He says in verse nine, 19 uh, that when he comes, he will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but of their power. 
So remember, remember the, the, the Corinthian culture was, was one of power, and they've, they've bought into this, this, this uh, Corinthian culture um, that, <clears throat> that grasps for power, honor, glory, wisdom. I think there's a lot of talk about power in Corinth, but Paul's not concerned with the mere talk of power. He's concerned with the reality of it. He says in verse 20, for the kingdom of God does not consist of talk, but of power. So they've, they've gotten this wrong slightly. So the Corinthians were concerned with power. And the kingdom of God is about power, but it's about God's power, not man's. The kingdom of God is about the power of God working in and through the weak and the poor, the despised, the low. And Paul's saying, your words are cheap. Some of you are talking about power, but it's not demonstrated in your life at all. You see, the Corinthians were, were very impressed with words, but when the argument and the discussion was over, where was the power of God among them? Look at chapter 2, verse 4. Paul says, I didn't come to you in, in plausible words of wisdom. I came to you in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What's the power of God? What's the message of power? He said in, in, in chapter 1, verse 18, it's Christ crucified. It's the gospel, the, the word of the cross. That, that the word of the cross, it's folly to the world, but, but, but it's power to us. That's the, that's, the, that's the power of God. That's the message of power. And, and, and how did Paul deliver that message? How did he demonstrate the power? By coming in weakness, in fear, in trembling. By, by knowing and boasting only in Christ crucified and nothing else. And he did this so that their faith would rest in God's greatness, not his. His message is, look how, G how amazing Jesus is in my life. For Paul, the power of God is demonstrated. It's revealed in him being reviled, in, in Paul being cursed and slandered, by Paul being the scum of the world, yet continuing on and pursuing gospel ministry day after day after day. That's the power of God at work in his life. That's how it's demonstrated it's not Paul's greatness, it's God's greatness. It's God and his greatness at work in lowly Paul's life, sustaining him, empowering him, building his kingdom, his kingdom advancing even through Paul, weak, trembling Paul, scum of the world Paul. Listen to me, the power, uh, the power of God is seen not in our church being amazing, being super spiritual, being put together, growing. The power of God is seen in the way he preserves fail gospel workers. It's the way he preserves weak Christian believers. Weak Christian believers, through whose witness and faithfulness to Christ, he brings others into eternal life. He, he, the, the kingdom expands. The kingdom keeps growing even though it's the weak ones who are serving. 
David Jackman writes, the lifestyle of the Christian messenger proves or disproves the reality of the Christian message. It's in amazing things happening on the deathbed of an 80-year-old man. It's a God at work in people's lives in, uh, on the brink of death, not in a well-put-together life, respectable. The power of work at God in frail and weak messengers. Paul continues his rebuke in verse 21. We're nearly done. He says, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? So Paul, Paul was, he was prepared to come and whip them into shape or he could come as he preferred to do as their spiritual father and love and gentleness. And I'm sure this has happened to some of the parents in the room. The call I don't want to receive on the way home is Jenny calling me and saying, when you come in, one of your kids is going to be on the step and you're going to have to discipline them. I don't, ah, the, I don't want to do that. I want to come and, and have hugs and kisses and, and laugh. But if I'm a loving father, I may have to come and discipline. Paul's response, how he would come, would depend on how they uh, reacted to this letter, to his warnings, to his exhortations. If they're willing to repent of their pride, of their false triumphalism, of their short-sightedness, of their premature judgments that we saw last week, of their short-sightedness, their arrogant false findings. If they're willing to repent of those things and humble themselves, then they're going to find an apostle who, just like the God who welcomes sinners, is more than willing to turn turn to them in forgiveness and mercy. His challenge is that they would take up the cross Become faithful stewards of the gospel. Live the crucified life until the Lord comes to reward them, to bring to light the hidden motives of men's heart. I, I think this section is similar to last week's uh, verses 9 to 13, where Paul is, is simply mimicking Jesus. The, the point of that section is that our minds go to Christ. And I think it's the same here, because just like Paul seen here as a loving father who firmly rebukes out of love, who even threatens discipline out of love, but he's also, he longs and prefers to return home in love and gentleness. It's just like our King Jesus. Paul's urging his children to, to imitate him as he imitates Christ, to enter into humility, to be okay with being weak and frail, to embrace their temporary identity as low and despised in the world. To boast in nothing but the cross, Jesus, and what he's done for them. So the world will see that the power of God is at work in their lives. They'll see how great he is. And they'll give him glory, not us. And he says, when we do that, the master will return and gladly say, well done, my faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master. He's kind. He's patient. He loves you. We must humble ourselves Remember our position as recipients of grace. And I think Paul's challenge to this imperfect church 2,000 years ago is, is just as relevant for us today. And let's humble ourselves. 
Let's remember our position as uh, recipients of God's grace. And let's, let's pray for more Christ-like spiritual mothers and fathers to be raised up in our, our church to help show the way of Jesus. And let's submit to the good and caring authority placed in our life and live a cross-shaped life, a life that glorifies Jesus, that shows just how amazing his power is uh, demonstrated. And for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of our joy. Let's stand and pray. Uh, Jesus, you are uh, you're so good to us. Um, you're, you are so kind. You're so patient. Um, our hearts are... Um, we run away so often, uh, but you patiently call us back. Um, help us to, to, um, to submit to Paul's authority here, his warnings and his exhortations to, uh, to turn away from pride, to turn away from uh, um, being puffed up and thinking that we are in the position of God and, and judging in, false, in, in unfair ways and by our worldly standards, by, by, by chasing after glory and honor before the time has come, that we are called to, to suffering now, that we are called to weakness. We thank you that, um, that you show us the way that you yourself is our ultimate example of what it looks like to, um, to have a cross-shaped life, that, that you call us to, to serve, you call us to, to be weak, you call us to suffering, Lord, so that the world may see how great you are, how powerful you are. Do that in our church, Lord. Expand your kingdom here, Lord, through weak and frail believers. We pray things in your name, Jesus. Amen.